All right, guys, we're back with the second part of the UFC 250 Gaethje versus Ferguson predictions. And we're going to leave or we're going to pick it up right where we left off. And the next fight on the card is keeping it in the heavyweight division between undefeated Jorgen DeCastro, who's 6-0 in MMA and 1-0 overall in the UFC, going up against the Prince of War, Greg Hardy, who's 5-2 in MMA and 2-2 overall in the UFC. Um, you know, that this fight really, I, I broke it down before, but it's going to be a close fight either way, because you look at a guy like Jorgen DeCastro and yes, he has a lot of power and yes, he's pretty technical with his shots. And if he connects on your chin, he can knock you out and he can knock you out moving backwards. That's one thing that's really, uh, difficult for people to do is to knock somebody out as they're moving backwards. A few people who are really good at it include Tony Ferguson. Um, there's a few other guys. Jorginho Rosenstrike is pretty good at catching people moving backwards. Dominic Cruz is good at catching people moving backwards, not really knocking them out, but catching them as they move in. And uh, the list goes on and on. But against a guy like Greg Hardy, who has fought Alexander Volkov, yes, he lost the fight, but he looked good in the three-round performance against a top contender in the heavyweight division in Alexander Volkov. And I've said it multiple times before, I think that the Alexander Volkov fight is going to be used to level up Greg Hardy in his overall, in his overall career. I think that it really leveled him up in terms of uh, how good he was how good he is and how good he can be. I think that that fight really opened up a lot of people's eyes where maybe he's not going to be the champion. Maybe he's not going to be the number two or number three in the world, but he might get to number six, number seven in that heavyweight division, um, depending on how much progress he can make um, from training camp to training camp. And I really think that that, uh, that Greg Hardy's going to show up in this fight. And I think he's going to put Jorgen DeCastro away. I think the first round will be, I think it'll be actually a first round finish. Um, either way, if Jorgen DeCastro knocks him out or if Greg Hardy finishes Jorgen DeCastro, it's going to be in the first round. I think that Greg Hardy at first will kind of try to play it slow and pick up, pick his shots. Um, but I think that Jorgen DeCastro, even though he does have a lot of power and he's decently technical, he does tend to wing his shots a little bit. And I think Greg Hardy will be able to counter him as he tries to brawl or tries to throw a long combination but wing his punches. I think, think Greg Hardy will catch him on the chin drop him, and then finish him off with a TKO. So I'm going to go with the Prince of War, Greg Hardy, to get the victory via first-round TKO. Up next in the welterweight division, a fight that was recently added to the card, and I can't believe it's on the prelims, the number six-ranked lightweight, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who holds a record of 36 wins and 14 losses in professional mixed martial arts, but is 23 wins and 11 losses in the UFC, going up against the number 15-ranked welterweight, Anthony Showtime Pettis, who's 22 and 10 in professional mixed martial arts with a record of nine wins and eight losses in the UFC. Um, I am very, very intrigued by this fight and very excited to see it at welterweight. I think that it's very different. It's going to be a very different fight at 170 than it would be at 155. I think that Cowboy fights very well at 170. He looks good at 55 too. Obviously, you know, he's coming off three back to back. Um, knockout losses, but those losses were to Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, and Conor McGregor. Those are the top three, four guys in the lightweight division. And then uh, you got to put Poirier in there as well. And then Khabib, obviously. But, you know, 
those losses, even though, yes, you know, Cowboy's probably at the downside of his career coming off three losses in a row, um, he's still one of the best in the world. He's still, um, he still can come in in any day and beat some of the top guys in this sport. It really depends what Cowboy shows up. And, uh, when it comes to uh, Anthony Showtime Pettis, you know, he's been really hot and cold throughout his entire career. I mean, you look at his UFC record and he's nine and eight in the UFC, but some of those losses have come to, I mean, Edson Barbosa, Rafael Dos Anjos, Nate Diaz. Um, he never fought Habib. Um, who else has he lost to in the UFC? He beat, um, but he's got some good wins as well. I mean, he has a win over Donald Cowboy Cerrone and via in the first round via a vicious left kick to the liver. Um, that stopped Cowboy in his tracks. He has a win over Stephen Wonderboy Thompson um, by knockout, the only guy to knock out Wonderboy. Um, he's got wins over guys like, or he looked good against Tony Ferguson. Yes, he lost the fight, but he did drop him in their fight. And uh, when it comes down to the fight and who I think is going to win, um, I think in the grappling, I'm really intrigued to see what the jujitsu and wrestling exchanges look like between Cowboy and Pettis on the ground because both guys are very decorated jujitsu artists. I would give a slight advantage to uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. I think he has some of the most slick jujitsu in all of uh, mixed martial arts, and I think if he catches anybody in a triangle or gets their back, he can submit them. Now. Anthony Pettis is very good and he's very scrambly on the ground and he can submit guys as well. He has a very solid guillotine, a really, really good triangle, good arm bars. He can lock up submissions from anywhere and he's good at scrambling and transitioning on the ground. I think that we're going to see a lot of transitions between these two in the wrestling and, and jujitsu exchanges. And I don't know who's going to end up on top or who's going to end up in control. I really have no idea on the feet. Um, in terms of variety and sharpness, I give the advantage to Anthony Showtime Pettis, but in terms of just being a gamer, obviously Pettis is really good as well, and he doesn't he doesn't really have any he doesn't make any fight look easy for the opponent. Obviously, he lost previously to uh, Diego Ferreira via first round submission, I believe, so he didn't look too good in that fight. But I do believe that he's going to come in revigor um, reinvigorated at 170, and even though Cerrone looks great at 170, and he he's fought you know. Donald Serrera, he's fought Robbie Lawler, he's fought Matt Brown, he's fought, like I said, um, he's fought Patrick Cote, he's fought a lot, a lot of really good guys at 170, but when it comes down to it, I think, uh, I really don't know, because at first I was thinking Cerrone, then I switched and said Pettis, because I just thought he was a little bit too, uh, he had a little bit too much variety for Cowboy on the feet, and I still believe that those body shots are going to be a problem for uh, Cerrone. I think he's had problems with body shots throughout his entire career. And when it really comes down to it, I, I think that the knockout losses, three KOs in a row, They, I mean, his last fight was in January. It's only going to be May when he comes back. Um, that's a long break for Cowboy because, you know, we're used to seeing him fight maybe every three weeks, every month, month and a half. Um, so three months off is a long time for Cerrone. But I think that those knockout losses in a row just really have deteriorated Cowboy. And I think Pettis has taken a lot of damage, but he hasn't taken as much damage as Cerrone. And I think Pettis will come in. He'll look good. I think he'll stick and move. And I think he's going to catch Cowboy. And I think he's going to finish him. I think he hurts him with, to the body. I think he goes down low with leg kicks, kind of like what he tried to do against Tony Ferguson. And then he moves up to the body and eventually just rips up the body of uh, Cerrone hurts him to the body and then goes in and gets a TKO finish 
in the second round. I'm going to go a second round TKO win for Anthony Showtime Pettis, but it should be an amazing fight. I like both of these guys. These are two of my favorite fighters to watch. Um, I'm rooting for Cowboy a little bit. I have to because I've always been a huge fan of Cowboy, but that's not to say I don't think Pettis, I don't like Pettis either, but uh, I just see Pettis getting the job done here. Up next, we move to the main card. Those are all on the prelims. Can you guys believe it? But let's move to the main card. And up first, it is a banger of a fight in the featherweight division. We have the number seven ranked Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens, who holds a record of 28 and 17 in professional mixed martial arts and 16 wins and 16 losses in the UFC. He basically grew up um, for his entire fight career in the UFC. And then versus the number eight ranked Boston finisher, Kelvin Qatar, who holds a record of 20 wins and four losses in professional mixed martial arts with a record of four wins and two losses in the UFC. This is going to be a phenomenal fight. This is going to be a firefight that these guys are going to be throwing bombs at your moms. And these guys are going to be looking for the finish. Um, when it comes down to breaking it down, let's start out with Jeremy little heathen Stevens. Um, he's not the most technical guy in the world, but there are areas in which Jeremy Stevens can put the hurt on you. And one area is that he always looks for the finish. Anytime in a fight, Jeremy Stevens is looking to knock your head off with an overhand right or catch you with a left hook or throw a flying knee or a high kick. I mean, he, he's got some very solid knockouts throughout his career. I mean, he's got a flying knee knockout over, uh, who did he get that knockout over at UFC 189? Uh, Dennis Bermudez, where it was a back, uh, he was backing up towards the fence and he landed like a fadeaway flying knee. He's got a vicious left hook knockout over Josh Emmett which looks really good considering how good Josh Emmett has looked in his last few fights. I mean, he has that knockout win over Michael Domenish Johnson where he was probably going to lose the fight on the cards, and then he had that vicious knockout win over Mirsan Bektic, which looks very good for him as well. Um, so he's got a knockout win over him. He's got a knockout win over Duho Choi, caught him with an overhand right as he was, as he was circling away, jumped on him, and got the finish. Um, the one fight you got to look at, and, and let me get into Kelvin Cater really quick before I break down the intangibles. Kelvin Cater... Hey, I've seen, I've been singing this guy's praises for a very, very long time. This guy is so sharp and he probably has some of, if not the best boxing technique in all of professional mixed martial arts. He's up there with some of the best boxers in the sport. Some got some guys with the best hands. I mean, a very soft, very straight right hand, a vicious one, two, um, likes to switch it to, from the jab to the lead hook, which directs the opponent into the straight right hand. Um, very good at maintaining range by keeping his hands out and controlling the opponent's hands and then setting up either that hook cross or the one, two, um, like you saw against Ricardo Lamas at UFC 238, he likes to, uh, throw that hook up top and then go to the body with the cross. And by doing that, it gets the opponent to think you're going to go low. And then you set it up three, two, go to the head. And uh, he finished off Lamas beautifully. Um, one area for each guy that I think is going to play um, a big factor. What are their weaknesses? And when it comes to Kelvin Cater, I think that his weaknesses overall are in the leg kicks, the leg kick area. Um, I think Jeremy Stevens has a weakness for leg kicks as well, but I think that we're going to, we're going to see Jeremy Stevens look to implement the calf kick against Kelvin Cater. He did very well with it against Gilbert Melendez and basically chewed up his lead leg throughout the entire fight. Um, so he's, you know, he's got it and you know, he's thinking about using it in the fight. I would be very surprised if he didn't try to set up low kicks right from the get go. Um, Kelvin has gotten better at defending kicks, but, uh, the main defense he likes to use 
is he'll pull back that lead leg and kind of replace his rear foot with it. And then he'll go back and step forward back into range um, to go back to striking. The pulling back um, low kick counter, pulling back your lead leg works with some guys, but against guys who are very good with low kicks and who can set it up with the hands, it's kind of hard to uh, pull away from the low kicks unless you have a really big reach advantage and you can just maintain control the di- and control the distance. Um, I think that Kelvin Cater does have good enough reach to try and avoid a lot of the low kicks that Jeremy Stevens might try to employ. I think that um, trying to control the lead hand with uh, Kelvin's lead hand um, is going to be a big factor for him. I think the fakes and feints and, uh, and uh, trying to work to the body will be a big factor as well. Um, even though I don't see Kelvin trying to throw a lot of kicks, I think it's going to be mainly a boxing approach from him because that's what he likes to do. And uh, I think Jeremy Stevens will try to, like I said, mix it up with kicks. I don't think we'll see any grappling. I think this will be a stand-up affair. Um, when it comes to like the different ranges, in clinch range, I would give the advantage to Stevens just because he can get into um, the ability to get into a brawl. He will go in for broke. Um, with strikes to the head in the clinch, I give the advantage to Stevens. With strikes to the body, I think Kelvin can uh, work the body very well and uh, try to rip to the body and then come up with an uppercut. I think that uh, an uppercut would be very beneficial against a guy like Stevens who might just try to come in, guns blazes, doesn't move his head too much, but he'll kind of just try to come in and wing his shots and try to catch you with that left hook or that overhand right, or he'll go overhand right, load up his left hip. As you circle away from the right hand, he'll catch you with the left hook. But I just think when it comes down to the fight, it's going to be close. And either guy can finish. This is a fight where if you look away for a brief second, either guy can get knocked out cold. But I think that the distance control, the distance management, and the technical ability of of Kelvin Cater when it comes to his hands, like Joe Rogan said, when it comes to the hands with Cater, there's not a lot of people who can beat him. And he looked good against Zabit. Like I said, we were going to talk about that. He looked like he had a way better performance against Zabit Magomed Shadapov than did Jeremy Stevens. Stevens did decent and was able to land some good shots, but he did get hit a lot by the strikes of Zabit and uh, kind of got hit with some flashy stuff. Kelvin Cater was able to avoid a lot of the flashy strikes of Zabit in that fight. And I think that's what it comes down to. That's the one common opponent that they have. And I think that Kelvin did a better job because he's so technical and so aware and so patient. That's another area we got to talk about in the fight really quick before I give you my final prediction is the fact that Jeremy Stevens, it does, it tends to not be as patient in his fights. He'll kind of just wing forward and look for the shots. And I think Kelvin Cater can keep him at range with that jab. He has one of the best jabs in the sport as well. Um, very good boxing. Like I said, um, but I think that he's patient enough to stay on the outside and pick Jeremy Stevens apart and catch him as he tries to come in and bum rush him. That's a dangerous game to play if you try to get into a brawl with Stevens. I think that Cater's too smart for that. And I expect Kelvin Cater to actually get the finish over Jeremy Stevens. I'm going to go with a second. We'll go with a third round TKO. I think the first round, both guys will just kind of feel each other out. I think the second round, it'll get a little bit heated. And I think Stevens will kind of try to push forward a little bit more. And I think that's when Cater's going to make the reads and pick up on the patterns of Stevens and then catch him with that right hand or the left hook um, and drop him and get a TKO. So I'm going to go with the Boston finisher, Kelvin Cater, to get the win via a third round TKO over Jeremy Stevens and vault himself up to that top five contender status in the featherweight division.
Up next in the heavyweight division, we have a fight that is power and just power and raw KO power personified. In the heavyweight division, we have the number two ranked Francis, the Predator in Ganu, who holds a record of 14 wins and three losses in MMA and nine and two overall in professional mixed martial era, nine and two overall in the UFC, going up against the number six ranked Biggie Boy, Jairzinho Rosenstrike, who is undefeated in professional mixed martial arts at 10 wins and no losses and four and zero overall in the UFC. This fight is extremely hard to predict. Um, it's so hard because both guys have amazing knockout power. If they touch your chin, they can put you to sleep. And I don't care if it's Francis Ngannou who gets touched on the chin. I don't care if it's Biggie Boy who gets touched on the chin. Either guy gets hit on the chin clean, they can get KO'd. Um, but when it comes down to breaking down the fight, um, you know, I think that the more technical out of the two is Jairzinho Biggie Boy Rosenstrike. I think Biggie Boy is a little bit, is more technical and, uh, doesn't put as much power into every shot that he throws. And what I mean by that is when you see Francis, he he doesn't he doesn't really throw any pity pat strikes. He doesn't throw a lot of strikes to set up power shots. Everything from Francis is power. And even though he doesn't have to wind up so much on every strike and if he connects on your chin he can put you to bed, I think that the ability of Jerzinho to throw some pity patter strikes including kicks kicks to the body, kicks to the legs, kicks up top, and then set up with, you know, five, six, seven, eight punch combinations. I think that's going to fluster a guy like Francis. I think that it might lead him to perform like he did against Derek Lewis and not be able to pull the trigger because of the volume of a guy like Biggie Boy, Jairzinho, Rosenstrike. I think he can touch, 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 and then pop, pop, pop. Touch, 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 pop, pop, pop. And I think with Francis, everything that he throws is just boom, 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 boom. He might set you up with a jab here and there to throw the overhand right, but a lot of his stuff isn't set up. Um, he does have good footwork and good ability to get outside lead, lead outside foot positioning. And uh, by getting that lead outside foot, he can set up the overhand right or he can get on an angle to set up to set up the left hook and uh, catch the opponent on the chin. But I think that really when it comes down to it, um, I think the volume of Biggie Boy, and you look at some um, equal opponents between the two, obviously Alistair Overeem, Francis Ngannou basically killed Alistair Overeem with that left hook slash uppercut uh, in that combination at UFC 218, and it looked like he killed him. And then Biggie Boy was having a lot of trouble and kind of got out grappled by Alistair Overeem, but then was able to uh, come back at the end of the fifth round and uh, set up a beautiful overhand left. I believe it was a, no, wait, I think he like got the outside foot and loaded up that right hand and then boom, caught him on the chin, dropped him and the ref stopped it. But like I said, I think the volume and the kicking game of Jairzinho Rosenstrike is going to cause Francis to not bite on, on, uh, to not, uh, open up is what I'm saying. Not open up and he's going to freeze a little bit. And I think that he's going to try to throw a bomb on uh Jerzinho, And I think Jerzinho is going to catch him. And I think this is the first time we're going to see um, Francis Ngannou get finished in the UFC. And I know a lot of people are counting out Biggie boy in this fight, but I don't see that. I think Biggie boy, I think the volume, the pity Pat strikes to set up the power is going to cause Francis to freeze up and have to cover up and think too much for him to be able to throw his shots with efficient power and efficient setup. 
So I expect for, I expect it to be a great fight. I think these guys are going to come out and look for the finish. But I think that, um, like I said, I think Biggie Boy's volume and uh, overall he has more weapons when it comes to the kicking game and uh, and overall, just like I said, multiple strike combinations. So I'm going to go with Biggie Boy, Jerzinho Rosenstrike to get the finish via third round TKO. I think he's going to tire Francis out with the pity pat strikes and the volume that he throws. I think it's going to set up a shot. Um, Francis is going to try to counter and then Jerzinho is going to counter the counter with either that overhand right or that left hook and drop him and get the finish. So I'm going with Biggie boy, Jerzinho Rosenstrike to get the win via a third round TKO over Francis, the predator in Ganu. Now we move to the title fights. The thing that every, the thing that everybody is waiting to hear about and first up in the bantamweight division, and before I get into it, like I said, there was supposed to be a featherweight championship fight between Amanda Nunes and Felicia Spencer, but that is no longer happening. Um, Francis Ngannou, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, not Francis Ngannou. Um, what's his name? But what's his name? Oh my God, I'm really ha- I'm really going for broke here. Um, I think. Uh, I'm having a brain fart. I think Felicia Spencer, obviously, and Amanda Nunes aren't fighting. It's a tough blow to the card, but now we only got two title fights, but it's the two best title fights on the card anyway, so let's keep it going. First up, in the bantamweight division for the bantamweight championship of the world, we have the reigning defending bantamweight champion, Henry Triple C. Cejudo, who holds a record of 15-2 and in professional mixed martial arts and 9-2 and overall in the UFC, going up against the former Greatest of all time, bantamweight contender, and the former reigning defending bantamweight champion, Dominic the Dominator Cruz, who holds a a record of 22 wins and two losses in professional mixed martial arts and five and one in the UFC. Now, first up, one thing we have to cover is activity. Henry Cejudo has been the much more active competitor. He's fought a lot more in the last few years than Dominic Cruz has. The last fight Dominic Cruz had was on at UFC 207, where he lost his title to Cody Garbrandt in a phenomenal performance by Cody. And uh, that was on December 30th, 2016. It's now, you know, going to be May of 2020. That's almost, that's almost four years since Dominic Cruz has last competed. That's a long time to be away. And I know that Dominic says, you know, ring rust doesn't exist. And he kind of proved it after being gone for, I believe it was two years leading up to the Takeya Mizugaki fight. And then a year leading up to his title winning victory over TJ Dillashaw, where he just looked phenomenal. It was a close fight, but I definitely had Dominic Cruz winning that fight against Dillashaw three rounds to two. Um, when it comes down to breaking, when it comes to breaking the fight down, obviously in the speed I don't know who has the speed advantage and you know, it's, it's, it's tough. You got to break down speed in different areas when it comes to this fight in terms of striking speed, I have to give the advantage to Henry Cejudo. I think he has good ability to throw combinations. I think his kicks and his punches come out at almost lightning speed, but he only moves in singular footwork patterns. 
Henry Cejudo doesn't really cut off the cage. He doesn't really use a lot of angles to set up his shots. He's kind of just uses that karate stance to go in and out, in and out, in and out, and then commits with that right hand or commits with a left hook or goes with a high kick. Um, he did kind of connect on a sort of an angle when he knocked out Dillashaw in their fight. He threw like a one-two and he caught him with that overhand right as Dillashaw was trying to slip. Now against a guy who slips and moves his head and moves his feet as much as Dominic Cruz, that could be an issue um, for Dominic because he might be able to catch him as he's trying to slip out of the way of a shot. Because when you slip out of the way in terms of Dominic Cruz, um, your hands are always down, so it's easier to get caught with shots. But when it comes down to the fight, you got to look at what look at the height for each guy. Dominic Cruz is 5'8". Okay? Um, Henry Cejudo is 5'4". So Dominic Cruz is going to have a 4-inch height advantage. That's going to play a big factor in the fight. I don't care what any of you guys say. You can say that I'm crazy for thinking Dominic Cruz might win this fight, but you got to look at it in terms of a tech from a technical standpoint. And then Henry has never fought a guy who's moved in so many different angles and so many different footwork patterns as Dominic Cruz. He's never fought a guy who bumps in with his left hip just to get you to come in and then he switches the southpaw quickly and then moves back to orthodox. He's never fought a guy who might come in and throw that right hand as you're backing him up against the fence to cut the angle off to your weak side and get back to the center. He's never fought a guy who constantly moves and fakes and faints and uses that jab to circle on you and then set up the right hand and then switch back to southpaw with that check right hook and the footwork in the setup of Dominic Cruz. He has the best footwork in MMA and nobody comes close. You could say Dillashaw, but it's not. It's not even close. Dillashaw kind of got outclassed by Dominic Cruz when it came to footwork and movement. And I think the height advantage the height advantage for Dominic Cruz of four inches is a big deal in terms of footwork and being able to move in and out and move and stick on the outside. Um, for wrestling, I think that the height advantage is a little bit of a disadvantage for Dominic Cruz because one thing with height is the guy, if the guy's a very good wrestler, you know, Cejudo's an Olympian and uh, he likes to go in for takedowns and, uh, you know, shoot a single leg, shoot a double leg. And, and he's going to be lower to the ground and closer to the hips of Dominic Cruz because he's shorter. So it might allow him to get a quicker entry on takedowns. But one thing about Henry is he likes to get his takedowns from the over under clinch and then go for that inside trip against a guy who's four inches taller. That inside trip takedown isn't going to work as well because Dominic Cruz has, you know, such a big height advantage over Henry Cejudo. So even if he goes for that outside trip, Dominic might be able to just get his hips back and uh, stay on the feet and then have Henry Cejudo be out of position. And that's a big deal. And um, I'm, I'm going to go with Dominic Cruz here to regain his UFC bantamweight championship. I think a lot of guys count out Dominic Cruz for how long he's been away. And that could play a big factor. We don't know what Cruz is going to look like, but I think he'll be ready. I think that he will constantly cut angles on Henry Cejudo that Cejudo is not used to. I think he will get taken down. But uh, I also think Dominic is going to take down Henry. And that's a big thing for me to say, considering Henry is an Olympian. But I think the way Dominic Cruz sets up his strikes and he'll slip to your weak side and then go for a knee tap takedown like he did against Uriah Faber, or he'll wait for you to commit, come forward, and then he'll fake and then go for a takedown. I think that's going to play a big factor in the fight. And I think it's going to leave Henry Cejudo flustered. And I think Dominic Cruz 
It's going to be a close fight for the first few rounds, but I think Dominic's going to pick up on the patterns of Henry and his singular just forward and back movement and a little bit of side-to-side movement, and he's going to set up his game plan. He's going to stick and move, and he's going to become the new bantamweight champion of the world, and I think he's going to defeat Henry Cejudo via unanimous decision, and if I'm going to go with the scorecards, I'm going to go 49-46, actually. I'm going to go four rounds. No, you know what? I'll give Henry the benefit of the doubt. We'll go 48-47, unanimous decision for Dominic the Dominator Cruz. Um, And finally, the main event of the evening for the interim lightweight championship of the world, you have the number one ranked Tony Elkakui Ferguson, the reigning defending interim lightweight champion, as you could say, who holds a record of 25 wins and three losses in MMA and 15-1 overall in the UFC going up against the number four ranked Justin, the highlight Gaethje who holds a record of 21 wins and two losses, four and two overall in the UFC. Um, some, some, uh, intangibles in this fight that I think are going to play a big factor. The reach, it's a six and a half inch reach advantage for Tony Ferguson. So he's going to be able to keep the fight at range and try to stick and move in a lot and not allow Justin Gaethje to close the distance. And they both have equal height of five feet, nine inches. So, you know, they're both the same height, but Ferguson's got a six and a half inch reach advantage. That could be a big problem for a guy like uh, Justin Gaethje. And we're actually going to move to this, the final part of this podcast. Um, and we'll talk about Ferguson and Gaethje because we're going to run out of time on this part. All right, guys, catch you on the next part.